So the title of today's sermon is Grace for Granted. We're going to be in the first six verses of chapter six of Romans. And it says this, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means? How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Point number one is actually the danger of misunderstanding grace. This is actually something that exists, and possibly it may even exist in some of us this morning as we're thinking about this. So the danger of misunderstanding grace is that some believe grace to be the reason to keep on a sinning. So they believe that because God saves by grace alone, we can do whatever in the world we want to. And what happens when we do that is we make an idol out of God. So people believe that they can live however they want because of God's grace. They see grace as this thing which just covers everything, no worries about anything, we could do whatever we want. And this entire thing brought me in my thinking to a story about a guy named Lonnie and his wife, Grace. Well, here's where the story changes up a little bit. Lonnie was married to a woman named Misty. So you say, well, wait a minute. He said his wife's name was Grace. Well, Lonnie and Misty had kind of a rocky relationship. You know those. They were almost always fighting, like continually fighting at each other's throats, and they, they were carrying on, always leaving one another, but eventually they'd always get back together. And one of the biggest problems between Lonnie and Misty was Lonnie's other wife, Grace. See, uh, Grace was the wife that gave all the answers. So if Grace approves, Lonnie is good with treating Misty however he wants. Oh, and there's another issue too. Both Lonnie and Misty are drug addicts. Serious problem. So once on a long trip, Lonnie and Misty are traveling, and uh, the two of them want to get high. So Lonnie decides he is going to sell his wife so that they can get drugs. So that's exactly what he does. But you see, he checked with Grace first, and Grace was fine with it. Grace is fine with him treating Misty however he wants. So Lonnie, although with some level of regret, he was able to justify what he was doing ultimately because he was answering to Grace. Now, you all know as well as I do, Grace is not a real person. All right? Uh, but he loved grace. He loved God's grace. Grace was a misunderstanding of how God works to Lonnie. Lonnie took his understanding of grace to mean anything goes. And he does as a believer, anything that he does as a believer is covered by the grace of God. So there are no real boundaries for how he should treat Misty. This is the danger 
that we get when we preach grace, 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 without also preaching responsibility, responsibility, responsibility. So what you believe about the grace of God, hear me, what you believe about the grace of God will fundamentally change how you live your life. It will change how you treat your spouse. It will change how you treat your kids. It will change how you shop at the grocery store. It will change, yes, even how you vote. It changes everything, what you believe about grace. So some people believe that they can live however they want because of God's grace, because they literally just don't understand it. But Paul addresses this clearly in the passage we're looking at this morning. So point number one, we sometimes misunderstand grace. Point number two, this is what we really have to take away. In Christ, you are dead to sin. That is, pull that out of thin air. Now, we've all heard these passages before. Romans 6, 1 through 2 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means. I'm going to read this question one more time. I want us all to answer with these three words all together, right? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? This is a really important point we all need to get. In Christ, in Christ, you are dead to sin. Dead to sin. So what this doesn't mean, although some take it to mean, is that Christians are free from the ability to sin. I've actually talked to some of these people before. I'm a Christian now. I don't sin. Wow, we need to get the book of 1 John out here because that's an issue. All right? It does not mean that you no longer have the ability to sin. It means we are dead to the power of sin. Say, well, what does that mean? That's kind of foggy, Jason. Dead to the power of sin. Well, it means that you don't have to. In Christ, you are free from sin's authority over your decisions. So now, when we sin, we make a choice to, all right? Sin is always, sin is always a conscious choice. Understand that when Adam took a bite out of the apple, he was doing what he wanted to do, all right? So God's not some cosmic chess player that's moving around the pieces and he's going to make you sin. No, that's not the way that life works. We all know that. Adam made a conscious choice. When Abraham lied about his wife being his sister, he was making a conscious choice. God didn't say, go and lie. No, that's not the way that it is. When David sinned with Bathsheba, even though from that line we have Christ... David was making a conscious choice to sin. So as a Christian, you can be tempted to sin, all right, and make a choice to do so, but no one sins by accident. Anyone that's been around a child for any amount of time at all knows that a lot of sins just happen by accident. I accidentally stepped on him. Where do they come up with this stuff? I accidentally told a lie. No, a lie or stepping on someone is a conscious decision. Can I get an amen? It means you choose either not to do what God has commanded or you choose to do what he has forbidden. So two types of sin in the Bible. There is the sin by omission, 
which means you don't do what God says you should do. For instance, we as, as men are supposed to provide for our families. We're supposed to make sure that our households eat. If we don't do that, that's going against what God has called us to do. And the Bible calls that sin. Very good. So there's also sin by commission, where we do exactly what he says we shouldn't do. Lust of the eyes. We desire to have what our neighbor has. We make an idol out of certain stupid things. All right, this is, we are definitely just entering this and we're doing what God has said definitely you should not do. But in Christ, you do not have to do either one of those. Either we choose, excuse me, either we only do what we choose to do. So in Christ, you don't have to do either one of these. You choose which one you do if you do either. Romans 6, 3 says this, Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? We were also baptized into his death. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? I'm going to rock some I'm going to make some waves here with people that are listening online. So uh, this is not speaking of physical water baptism. It's not. That's not it at all. You say, well, that's the baptism that we all always think of. Really, well, what happens if in this service someone stands up and says, I want to become a believer today, and we pray with them, and they leave here and get in a car accident on the way home? Are they now not going to heaven? No. That's not the baptism that God is going to, to count to them. It's going to be the baptism that took place in that moment when they consciously gave their life to Christ. That's what we're talking about. It's speaking of identity with Christ in his death. This is the beginning of your faith when you initially come to Christ. It is your identity with Christ. So baptism is not so much a water and dunking thing. We do this. It's important. It is uh, one of our only two sacraments we practice here at Christian Life Church, that and communion, which we'll do in a little bit. It's the beginning of your faith when you initially come to Christ. That's the baptism that's being spoken of here. This is the thing that your baptism represents. So if you were baptized, you were dunked down in the water, and you came back up new, um, nothing magical happened in that moment. You are now showing everyone what has happened on the inside of you. So in Christ, you died to sin. You died to sin. It's dead. It's done. Romans 6, 4 says this, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So in Christ, you died to sin so that you could walk in newness of life. This only happens by death. All right? How many here have a garden this year? Something planted that's growing, that's living? Yeah. So we planted seeds, and that thing died, and now there's new life. So the seed has to fall to the ground in order for there to be life. In Christ, you died to sin so you could walk in newness of life. Which brings us to probably one of the most important parts out of the whole sermon here is in Christ, we are truly free. What does that mean, though? Because we've tossed a lot of ideas out here. We've talked about a lot of things so far. So what does it mean that in Christ, I am free? 
Now, Lonnie thought that his freedom in Christ gave him permission to do whatever he wanted to at whatever time he wanted to. But is that what we're talking about here? Look what the verses say. This is so vitally important. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. John 8.36 says this, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free, what's that word? Indeed. 2 Corinthians 3.16-18 says this, But when one turns to the Lord turns to the Lord. Y'all see that? The veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is, what's that word, everyone? Freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You know, it's amazing. It's amazing the way this all works. Because some people actually believe that now, because they're Christians, they can do whatever they want, any day they want, any time they want, and it's totally covered. But God's grace gives us no excuses There's no accidental sin. Amen? I didn't accidentally do this. I didn't happen to fall into this situation. I took conscious steps to get me there. But God's grace gives us no excuses. It gives us true freedom. So, but what's the implication of that? What is the prerequisite? Well, look at the verse one more time. For if we have been united with him. I just want to highlight a couple things here. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we should certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. I'm going to read through this one more time. When we get to the red words, I want you all to say those really loud with me. For if we have been united with him... In a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Y'all see the implication here? Freedom in this life cannot be ordered around a pattern of moralism. And that's what we do. That's what a lot of people teach their kids be a good little boy be a good little girl make sure you choose the right thing do the do the good thing be a good little boy be a good little girl but we can't as christians do good for the sake of doing good we can't and the problem is we all fall into these moral tendencies of wanting to do 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 And then we always have these huge and lofty statements we can throw out there, such as, I don't watch those kind of movies. I'm a Christian. Well, that's nice. Hey, did you happen to see, I don't watch that stuff. 
I'm a Christian. Or maybe we say things like, I don't say those sorts of things. I'm a Christian. Well, hey, tell that joke to us that we were hearing at the break room the other day. I don't say those sort of things. I'm a Christian. Or maybe something like, I don't waste my day worried about those things. I'm a Christian. Hey, Bill, you see what's happening on the news today? (laughs) I don't worry about those sorts of things. I'm a Christian. What we've done in that very moment is we started preaching moralism. It's to show that some way, somehow, I am doing and can do and have the ability to do better than you. So why is it that I don't watch that movie? Why is it that I don't say those things? You know, why is it that I don't acknowledge these things? Because I'm a Christian. I have a higher set of values than you. But when we say things like that, who are we talking about? Honestly. Let's just look at one of those statements just one more time. I don't waste my day worried about those things. I'm a Christian. Who are we talking about? I, my, I'm, or, if you like better, me, me, me. Me, me, me. We've got to be really careful with this because this is the Christianity that the world is seeing. They're seeing you, and they're seeing me, and they're seeing us talk to everyone out there in a way that is high and lofty, and we have chosen to live a more moral life than they have. And the reason we need to be careful about this is because Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So look, I'm going to back up here just for a second. When you say phrases such as, I don't waste my day worried about those things, I'm a Christian. When a person says something like that, who are they truly concerned about? Are they concerned about the person that they're talking to? No. They're concerned about what the person that they're talking to understands about them. Not the gospel not about Christ, not about Christian living. They're concerned with making sure that person understands that they are a more moral person than they are. This is not freedom, it's slavery. It's not. These statements are not by accident. They are coming from our hearts. They are the abundance that we're drawing from. This is the well that we're drawing from. If in every single conversation we say, I, me, I'm, We are concerned with one person and one person only, and that's ourselves. And when we are, when we speak about moralism, this is not freedom, it's slavery. But grace is given to you, but it's not given because of you. Otherwise, it wouldn't be grace. So the overflow of our hearts ought never be about what we do, but about what he does. So say, well, I can't be that person that every single conversation I have with someone, I start talking about Jesus, then I'm going to be weird. Well, you're weird anyway, all right? That's just the way that it is. You're different from the rest of the world. If you be in Christ, you are strange anyway. 
You're the stranger in every single conversation. Every time there's a coarse joke happening and you're not laughing, you're trying to walk away from it, you are weird. Every single time there's something that comes on TV and you leave the room, you're weird. All right? There's no getting away from that. Literally, our lives cannot be about what we do. Well, I do this, and I do this, and I do this, and I do this. It all has to come back to the gospel. Everything that we say and do has to be about Christ. And if it's not, that does not say something about Christ. That says something about us. We really need to adopt this beautiful phrase. It's probably my most favorite phrase from any hymn. Foul eye to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. You know, we get real self-righteous at times. We get all these things we want to show people we can do. I can do this. I can do this. Look at the podcast. Did you listen to the podcast? Listen to all the cool things I'm saying. Look what's coming out next. Look what my church is doing. In the end of the day, it's all about Christ. It's all about his grace, not what he has chosen to do for us because of us, but what he has chosen to do for us as God. You know, he hung on a tree. Three nails hung up God Almighty. They held him there as he bled out and as he breathed his last breath. And for some reason, this seems to become so commonplace in our thinking that we're not really affected by that anymore. And I'm not asking you to have an emotional experience at this very moment. I'm just asking everyone in here, consider the implications of that. What Christ suffered on the cross for was not because of him. It was because of you and because of me. It was because I chose to sin and put other things ahead of where they should have been. It's because I chose to interact with someone that I shouldn't have. It was because I chose to say things that I shouldn't have said. It was because I chose to participate in things I should not have participated in. Christ didn't. I did. Yet on that cross, he hangs and breathes his last, not because of what he did, but because of what I did. This has to sink into every single interaction that we have. People on the street, with our family. Next time you're having an argument with someone about politics in your family or something else, just think for a second. Christ died over this conversation because of the way that I'm responding, because of the way I'm reacting, because of the sin that I'm committing against my brother, sister, cousin, aunt, uncle, son, daughter, friend, enemy. Christ died for that too. And believe me, in the gospel, he is going to redeem every single one of those things.
Hey there, everyone. I wanted to tell you about a ministry that we have at this church called Master's Crib. It's a weekly podcast that comes out where we interview pastors and leaders about the biblical topic of authority. Here's a little clip of what we're doing. It is God's word that determines truth and determines what mankind should believe and why we should believe it. And quite frankly, God's word and his law is the infrastructure of reality. It's the framework of all reality. So whatever, I don't care if you're a believer or non-believer, whatever part of your brain, your mind, hasn't been renewed by the word of God, that part of your mind is literally insane because it's not thinking when it comes to God's reality. Hey there, everyone. I wanted to tell you about a ministry that we have at this church called Master's Crib. It's a weekly podcast that comes out where we interview pastors and leaders about the biblical topic of authority. Here's a little clip of what we're doing.